Yo MTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. The next stop on the Star City Games Open Series is coming up soon in St. Louis. On December 3rd and 4th, join hundreds of other players to battle it out in the standard Legacy and Draft Opens and compete for the glory, the money, and the prestige of moving up the ranks in the SCG Players Club. With side events galore and live coverage courtesy of SCG Live, it'll be an action-packed weekend that you won't want to miss. So make plans to join StarCityGames.com in St. Louis, and we'll see you there. Everybody and welcome to episode 87 of Yo MTG Taps. I'm Joey Pasco, and this is a special World's 2011 edition of Yo MTG Taps. Um, I was able to go to San Francisco and uh, attend Worlds this year. And uh, for those of you who have never been to an event like this, it is uh, kind of overwhelming. Uh, it's very, very hectic and crazy, and there's things going on in every direction. Obviously, the main tournament. Uh, and side events and just, uh, you know, the MOCS championship, the Magic Online championship. Uh, there's just things going on every direction, vendors and uh, artists and uh, spell slinging. And, and one of the other things, and, and we've mentioned this before in the podcast, when you're at these events, uh, it's actually hard to tell what is happening in the main event unless you're really uh basically unless you're following along online uh you guys sitting at home sometimes have better information than we do when you're when we're at the event um you know we're we're right there and we can see like one game or something uh while it's happening so for uh for today's episode I was able to uh to wrangle Patrick Chapin for a long talk about the tournament and uh some other topics including um one of the hot topics recently brainstorm in legacy which uh I know some people have been saying it should be banned and other people saying that uh that it is the cornerstone of the format and certainly should not be banned um you can probably guess where I fall on that on that spectrum I was also able to talk to Jesse Smith, Smitty of 60cards.com and formerly of the A-Team podcast. Uh, he hung out with me a bit this weekend, and uh, we also got Patrick Jarrett on his way into uh, into Wizards of the Coast full-time employment. You know, he, uh, he used to run Gathering Magic, and he has passed the torch off to Adam Staborski. And uh, Trick will be running things behind the scenes at magicthegathering.com. So uh, have a listen, enjoy, and we'll be back next week. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 87, I think, of Yo! MTG Taps. <laughs> I could be wrong. You, you guys can tell from whatever the episode title is. Uh, this is Joey Pasco. I'm here at Worlds in San Francisco. Uh, we're, on, uh, we're, we're recording here on Sunday. The top eight is kind of, uh, I think, it, it, you know what? I don't even know. <laughs> Apparently, we're, we're headed into the semifinals, I believe. Um, now, the reason I don't know is because I'm sitting here with Smitty, Jesse Smith of 60cards.com, and we just came from watching the Ravens versus Bengals game uh, at a local bar. So, uh, yeah, Jesse's not as, uh, not as excited about it as I am, but it, I think one play difference... It would have been a completely different story here. <laughs> it was a close game. It was awesome to watch. So, say hey, Jeff. Yep, how's it going? Uh, very close game. It's the best we could ask for, though, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, if those of you who don't know, Jesse's a huge Bengals fan, and I'm a huge Ravens fan. So, uh, on to the uh, non-NFL portion yes. of the show. So, um, I, I, I was tweeting a little bit about this last night. Um, obviously, this top eight is stacked with Channel Fireball guys um, and... Really good, good players. It's a pretty stacked uh, top eight player-wise. 
but as far as the decks go, um, it's like what four tempered steel decks, yeah, uh, green green uh, white tokens deck, a humans deck, like a geist. Kind of yeah, deck, there was it? was there a green white. There was uh, two ramp, but one of them was I think believe was like the four Inferno Titan four primeval version oh. with like four sphere suns and uh, four rampant growth. So we had I think I think it was two ramp, four tempered steel, uh, the blue white humans, um, and then. It was a mono red. Was oh, a mono, mono red. red. Yeah, mono red. So I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was seven, seven aggro and one ramp. I didn't realize the, that there was a second ramp deck. I know I there's a wolf. Wrong. There's a wolf run deck. I know. Yeah. Um, here we are. You know, talking like we know what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, oh, what kind of deck? Hey, trick, 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 Jarrett. We're recording here, so. No, I want you to uh, because we're trying to clarify the top eight decks. Uh, it was. It's four tempered steel. Yep. Um, a mono red. Yep. A uh, wolf run ramp. Yep. Uh, green white hu- uh, green white tokens. Yep. And uh, blue white humans, right? Is that or like a blue white geist geist kind spirit. of spirit? Right. I, yeah. Okay. So there wasn't a second ramp deck. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. So it's seven aggro decks and a, and a ramp deck. Right. Bland. Wow. That was what I was saying. I bland. Was saying, yeah. Very bland. Well, I know four that, tempered steel guarantees any top eight is going to be bland. It's yeah. But it's the personalities. I mean. Yeah. You had, you had Wesco versus Connolly and. Yeah, uh, that was epic, just personality-wise. Con- Rich was going on and on in the commentary, but it's true. Conley is a very happy-go-lucky guy, and he had his game face on. And we'll we'll see how he does going up against probably his worst matchup of the top eight in the in the semis. It's it's a. Uh... So is he? He's the only Channel Fireball guy that made it through. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, see, we were watching the football game, as I I just explained to the listeners here. Uh, So we're, like, basically coming in with little information, but really what I wanted to talk about was how... Uh, while the uh, the top eight is entertaining player wise, deck wise, it's kind of boring. But um, right. so I just was kind of wanted to get your opinion on that. I and mean, what, what do you think? Same thing. Sure. I mean, I don't think it's as bland as you're making it. I mean, yeah, they're all there's not combo or there's not control. But the, other than the four tempered steel, the other four decks are actually fairly unique in the way that they go about it. I mean, the ramp deck was different than we've seen in the past. I think. And uh, I think I think people start to feel like we get bored with standard decks once it's been kind of figured out. I mean, it is an example of Cobblade, but that was like more so of like a heavy example. But right now, you know, there's just you know every deck's kind of a good deck right now. It's just nothing to really figure out. The, the thing that frustrates a lot of players is is that when we don't have a defined metagame, when they haven't figured out what's the best deck of the format, that's when the worst players have a better chance at winning but by picking the, the better deck or by metagaming the right deck but once the best deck has been determined then the better players have an overall advantage because they're no longer battling perhaps subpar decks they're saying okay this has been proven to be the best deck now it comes down to play skill and that's why a lot of players were i mean a lot of the top players were such a fan of when we had you know the totally dominant metagame because then it became skill with a small side of luck with who could draw the better decks this top eight, I mean, had a lot of personalities. Channel Fireball came in here with all guns blazing, and they... The, the, they the, usually do, it seems, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> recently. But the decks that made the top eight along with them are all ones that beat Tempered Steel along the way, so it was a tough... I, I, I was surprised that Paulo went down, and I was disappointed LSV went down, because I would have loved to see LSV be world champion. I mean, he's been national champion, he's been pro tour, he's, he's a great figure for the game, but... Uh, if, if there's only one Channel Fireball player remaining, Conley Woods is a good one to have because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Conley Woods has been chosen by the gods of magic that this is his weekend and he will go all the way. I mean, assuming that he can beat the worst matchup he could possibly have here in the semis. Yeah, what's his matchup actually coming up? Uh, he's going up against the red, blue, red green Kessig Wolf okay, deck. Okay, that's that just devours the, the tempered steel. Uh, right. It devoured uh, the first round opponent, it, it, uh, Impalo, and it devoured everyone that it faced in the uh, in the normal standard rounds. Is, is that because it looks a little slower with like the Edge Champion compared to what it's been in the past, or it just has enough answers? Slags. And uh, it's a lot of answers. I, I think is the bigger part. It's got main deck. I think seven, at least seven answers main deck, and then it's got more that come out of the board. Yeah. So it's going to be a, a tough uphill battle, but. As we saw in the Wesco Conley match, you guys weren't watching it, but that game was insane. Conley just showed what an amazing 
Magic player can do in reading the board, reading the state, playing to his outs, and drawing the, the cards he needed to get there, and not conceding when he was at two live and looked to lose the game. So uh, I'm not putting a pass Conley. It's definitely an uphill battle. Uh, I'm prepared for Rich Hagen to continue to champion Bland because he is excited <laughs> beyond all get out that there's a British player in the top eight. And he should be. Bland looks good. But uh, I, I, I'm actually afraid that the winner of the Conley-Iunaga matchup will be the world champion. We'll see. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Jesse, you're, you're a brewer. Yeah. And you've been playing some standard this weekend. Yeah. Talk about some of the decks you've been playing, what you've been seeing, and... Uh, your uh, kind of your opinion of the standard metagame outside of this top eight because uh, for people who may not know just because these decks made the top eight doesn't mean these are the best decks in standard they just happen to be the the standard decks that the best players at this event are are playing you know or the or the the standard decks that the players that made the top eight were playing so uh so what do you think of standard right now what kind of decks again what have you been seeing and what have you been playing with yeah yeah well i think tempered steel like is heavily uh heavily was under the radar and so i had an advantage in that sense i've still been sticking with mono black infect after trying some things i was actually expecting a lot of illusions uh so i had a black red brew where just you're just killing everything type thing but i audibled out of that and played in the side events mono black infect i didn't do worse than like uh, x2 the whole time just never got there um so, still been sticking with that, but there's been a ton of green-white here. Like, a ton yeah. of green-white. It's, abs- it's crazy. I didn't face Illusions once. <laughs> a little bit of blue-black. Um, and uh, there, my buddy, uh, Miles Barnes, has been... Uh, he won uh, one of the standard events with uh, Dungrove Ramp, and he got top four in another. So, he made out like a bandit. That deck's still really strong. I mean, Ramp's still very much alive, as we may see. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely different than what I'm used to on Magic Online. Um, I mean, and it, most people know that's usually the case, so. <laughs> what does it look like on Magic Online? Illusions, like okay, 95%. That, that's percent. <laughs> it's a cheap deck, too, right? I mean, pretty It much, is, yeah. it is, mostly. I'm curious to see how Chapin's uh, Brixis build does, because it, it looked like, it looked to me like it was sort of a metagame call of, it was aimed at being an answers for this event and not being a long-term metagame deck. So I, I know some people were saying that they were already seeing it out and about online or at FNM or wherever, but I'm curious to see how it does after this event and see whether it morphs into a more of a long-term staple of the metagame. Yeah. yeah my, my experience with Chapin's decks and what he tends to do at Pro Tours is just do the metagame call. When you look at, like, Dragonstorm in Worlds 2007 where, uh, you know, that one really worked... Then you can look at back at, at Paris, you know, as we're talking, there's Chapin walking by. Uh, <laughs> um, in Paris, he metagames with Tezzeret, um, you know, makes top eight with that. But the decks themselves are not only are they, uh, are they metagame calls and typically not great for taking out of the tournament, but they're also pretty difficult to play. Like, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He comes with these kind of crazy decks that... Uh, that he knows what he's doing, but they're tough to just pick up and play. You yeah. need a lot of practice. So. And that's probably why they don't catch on long-term, at least recently. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Grixis Tezzeret in Paris, and now here at Grixis deck. It's like a, a, what was it, like five years ago, four years ago, Scrambled Eggs, that, that one that used the old, it was like a, a legacy deck. It was this weird metagame deck that they brought for one tournament, but it was so difficult to play. I think they called it Sunny Side Up or something, yeah. something to do with eggs. That, <laughs> some sort of breakfast it, it was some, reference, right? Yeah. It was a deck that was just amazingly fun to watch, but you could tell the players were laboring under the mental strain of just trying to play this deck correctly because you one mistake and you broke the combo and broke the engine. So that's definitely true with Chapin, is that he relies on the mastery of his own designs, and they're not necessarily the most... uh, user-friendly deck designs. Right. Desperate Raven seems like a tough card to play right, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that card, and I know Chapin has been uh, kind of championing it a little bit in his articles, and so when I saw him actually bring it, it kind of wasn't wasn't too much of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's probably the most exciting deck as, as far as standard goes that I noticed. Um, modern, though, looked like just Wild Nakatos and Tarmogoyfs almost everywhere. <laughs> like, at the top tables, anyway. Modern was a letdown, in, in, in all honesty. I, I, I look to Worlds as historically being the event where nations like Japan or America or different teams come out with these breakouts in, in f- formats. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let's see what they do in Modern. 
and I start hearing whisperings, you know, when we first get here that, you know, no one's decided what they're going to play. And that's when I just knew, I was like, I'm not going to be interested in modern. It's going to be a zoo. It's going to be affinity. It's going to be all the decks we already knew. And it's just, it's frustrating. But I, I, I can already tell and already know that people are ranting online that this is, you know, they need to make their unbannings. They need to undo what they're doing. They need to change what happened. And I, my answer is, you they don't need to undo anything. The, 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 it, the onus is on the players to find new ways to improve this metagame. This isn't a solved metagame. I also think that, uh, that there's a lot of decks we didn't see that are really good. Uh, my buddy Matt Marr, who, who I think he top 64 he did pretty good, but he was playing a Grape Shot combo deck. It was winning on turn three and uh, just preying on the on the Zoo decks. Um, and also the uh, Ad Nauseam uh, Phyrexian Unlife decks. Yeah. He thinks that it's a really strong deck, so I think that could be something that could come to life a little more than uh, maybe we've seen. Absolutely. I didn't see the placings in the modern, but yeah. Yeah, I think part of it, uh, because it was the, the day three format, by day three, things have kind of, the tournament's already got momentum. Like, the players that right. are winning are the ones that are like, all right, now I need a modern deck. And the ones that are losing can be like, well, whatever, you know. Like it, it's, it's not as much focus because the day one format is where people want that momentum, right? They want to have a good day one deck. They want to have a good start. But once the wheels start falling off, nobody really really cares that much. So, I'm, I'm curious... I actually don't know what effect it would have, but what if Modern had been the first day of the tournament? Yeah. Would it have actually affected how players approached it? Would they have taken a more proactive stance mm -hmm. in, in playtesting it? Because being day three, like you said, it Conley goes in 12-0. He could have, based on this top eight, almost lost every round except for one and theoretically had a shot at the top eight. Now, the numbers wouldn't have worked out if he hadn't done his unthinkable 16-2. and two. But, I mean, he, he could have just gone in with a with a zoo deck going I'll play the odds and assume that as long as I go 3-3 three and three, I'll be happy but if it's day one then it's a whole different ball game because you need tiebreakers you need you know you need the, the the position that it gives you that early in the tournament so I, I, I would love to see that down the road we'll see if that ever happens uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, modern to me right now is uh, is the most exciting format to brew for because it still seems wide open um, and it's just so many cards that I want to play. Um, I've th I think I've talked about my modern deck on the podcast before, which is basically uh, I call it Flash Delirium because it's all Flash creatures and like Tarmogoyf, awesome. <laughs> so like almost no sorcery speed stuff. But uh, apparently, a player uh, took it to the finals of one of these side events. So I was pretty excited. I felt like Smitty, you know, like somebody tweeting at me like, hey, I played your deck. So uh, unfortunately, I don't have the player's name, but I'll, I'll get it. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll get it and I'll mention it later because I, I appreciate him playing the deck and, and taking it to the finals. Even his finals opponent uh, tweeted at me saying that the deck looked good. So I was, uh, I was pretty excited to hear that. But um, it seems like kind of like uh, we're going to see a lot more from Modern coming up because it's the PTQ season starting in what January I think. Yep. So just yes, we got two in January. Okay. Uh, Austin and Orlando. Okay. Uh, the PTQs is that what it is or GPs? GPs. Okay, so two GPs, but it's also a PTQ yeah, format. PTQ. This season, this this four month rotation ends on Christmas. Okay. So every PTQ after that it will be for Pro Tour number two, Pro Tour Hook. Which right. we don't know what it's called or where it's going to be yet. Right. Um, but yeah, so January will be the start of the new season, and it will be modern. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, so, uh, so trick, you're going to uh, you're making a move. I am. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I haven't talked a lot about this, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm going corner to corner. Yeah. I'm calling moving companies, and they're like, I've never scheduled someone for a move this far. I'm like, well, you can't go much further right. without leaving the country. Florida but, uh, to Seattle. Florida to Seattle. I'm getting this is my last last major Worlds and my last event as a non-Wizards employee, so it's going to be very interesting to uh, sort of uproot and change everything. Yeah, so c congratulations on that. And uh, and your replacement for Gathering Magic, Adam Staborski. Yeah, he's somewhere over there. Yeah, shout out to, to Adam. Congratulations Stibs. to him. Yeah. Very cool. It, it's it's exciting. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm unhappy or un, unexcited, but I'm trying also to not be overwhelmed with the stress. Like right now, my wife is actually at home packing boxes oh, yeah. while I'm here at Worlds. Yeah. Uh, so you're working. I'm I am working, and, she, and God bless my wife. I love her very much. Wife plug. Uh, <laughs> but my wife 
just was like, honey, I understand you have to go, but uh, my my mom is coming over, her mom, yeah. and they, they've been packing the house. Uh, she told me she was going to go buy more uh, bubble wrap, so... We've got two weeks. Uh, I, I my last day theoretically with cool stuff and gathering magic will be Friday, uh, December second, and then I have ten days to get across the country in a car with uh, two dogs and my wife and uh, start work at Wizards on the twelfth. And uh, it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be it's it's a it's an adventure. It's exactly what I was gonna say, right? It's an adventure. These are the experiences you're gonna remember for the rest of your life. You know, remember back in 2011, those 10 days getting from Florida to Washington, <laughs> driving and then, across the country know, in the snow in some areas, yeah. and <laughs> to the gold at the other end of the rainbow, right? right I mean, pretty right. much. That's awesome. I was talking to Gavin yesterday. Gavin, obviously, a new Wizards employee or intern, anyway, and he said. Uh, he said his first day, they said, they sat him down and said, we need you to catch up on the next year and a half of cards. Right. So you get to look forward to that. That's one of the first things he said to me when I saw him. He's like, so, you ready? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. He's like, well, you got 18 months of cards you got to catch up on. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was actually talking with him also about writing. Since he was always with Star City, I could never get him to write for Gathering Magic. And, but okay. now he's at Wizards, and I'm at Wizards, and... So as soon as I get an opportunity to, don't don't be surprised to see Gavin's name appearing on Daily MTG. Awesome, sounds good. I mean, he was one of the one of the more uh, popular writers on Star City, and uh, for good reason. His yeah. articles are always really great, and uh, it's awesome. And I'd say it sounds brutal to catch up on eighteen months of future cards, but it's really um, it's brutal. <laughs> My to life be is us. horrible. Right. <laughs> My life is horrible. I'm suffering horribly for this job. I already know secrets I'm not allowed to tell people. Yeah. So I, uh, this is sort of like you my You tweeted my earlier, right? Right. I I'm, know a secret. I know a secret. It's redacted. I can't tell you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, it's going to be interesting because my position is so core to that sort of that role because I have to plan the content out. I have to lay out, you know, who gets, who gets spoiler cards, how that's going to work, what's the strategy around all of that. So... Yep, I'm not going to be quite as talkative at future events. <laughs> yeah, uh, understandable. So uh, put us on the list for uh, getting a spoiler if you can. Yo, MTG Taps. And uh, Jesse, I guess 60, 60 cards. cards right? <laughs> I, I make no promises. Right on, though. But, uh, all right, well, thanks, guys, for, uh, for chatting with us. Um, and I'll uh, catch up with you later. Good luck and congratulations, Trick. Thank you. All right, I'm here with Patrick Chapin. In the press room now, so uh, it's a little windier outside. Um, so we're here at Worlds, obviously. Uh, pretty, pretty excited. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> so uh, I, let's first off, uh, you first day was standard, and you brought I think what was one of the more innovative decks, as you you tend to do at uh, at Pro Tours and things like that. Uh, and, and I know. Uh, you've, you've favored Grixis recently, I think. Um, By recently, you mean this I'm, lifetime, right? Yes, exactly. Since, <laughs> since about 1980. Yeah. You know. uh, so, uh, I guess, tell us about your standard deck and how it came together and uh, you know, how, how you felt it performed. <laughs> All right, so uh, ever since Innistrad has been, you know, ever since Innistrad has been unveiled, I've been working with every different card in the set that looks interesting, you know, just trying to build around each one, trying to find a way to use each one. And uh, one of the cards that I've been particularly drawn to is Olivia, because I was seeing a world where half the field plays white aggro or blue aggro, you know, like playing Delver of Secrets or Memnites or, or you know, Avacyn Pilgrims or, you know, whatever. Just all these one-toughness creatures. And uh, Olivia is at her best against those. Uh, plus, the people who don't play one-toughness creatures usually have sixes, who are the perfect things for Olivia to steal. She trumps basically every single six, right. you know? Even Frost Titan, you know, she spends four turns into a vampire and then seven and steals it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she trumps all, you know, she trumps all the uh, all the sixes and all the one toughness creatures, which is most of the creatures in the format. Her weakness is certain types of removal, but people aren't even really playing that much removal, and they don't always draw the removal. It's like the whole Bane Slayer thing all over again, where sure, if it dies to something, you know, mm -hmm. it's not always going to die, you know. Like even if they play, you know, if they've got three Oblivion Rings in their deck, they're they're not going to even draw it half the time by the time by the fourth turn. And if they don't have it, it's Olivia's going to completely take over the game. If they do have it, that's one less Oblivion Ring for your next monster. And if they draw the Oblivion Ring and you don't draw Olivia, then they're stuck with a card that isn't even doing anything. I mean, it'll be good eventually, but it's not gaining them any advantage in the meantime. Anyway, I knew that I wanted to play with Olivia. I tried a variety of different decks. Um, 
on a, a separate deck I was working on just to explore was a Phyrexian Obliterator deck. I was really happy with Phyrexian Obliterator, uh, especially the, the line of, di, uh, of distress into Liliana, into Phyrexian Obliterator. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, the problem I was coming into, into with that deck was a little bit of a weakness to Mirror and Crusader, particularly people who go Pilgrim into Crusader so that an Edict effect doesn't get them. Uh, I experimented with adding red so that um, you know, I try to shore up that weakness. It, it, I lost Lash Rive, but I gained Olivia, so it's like, okay, I still have Obliterator and Olivia to just take over games. Uh, what I found is it really, really, really needed card draw. And once you've added red and you don't have the swamps for Lash Rive anymore, you might as well add blue. The problem, though, is that if you're playing Obliterator, even if you play four Dark Slick Shores, four Drowned Catacombs, you know, like, you can play a couple Sulfur Falls, maybe, but it's really hard to cast a Obliterator and still make your mana work. And in the end, it was too greedy to, to be playing a Obliterator with, you know, with the splashes in this format. So, uh, and I tried Sphere of Suns, Mana with everything. But uh, the, the Traveler's Amulet, yeah. Shimmering Grotto, everything. But um, the... From there, I uh, re- started looking for replacements for Obliterator. You know, like I loved Olivia, loved what the deck was doing, and uh, ended up. I mean, obviously, we tried Consecrated Sphinx first, but what we found is we really wanted creatures to just take over the game. Uh, Worm Coil Engine and Grave Titan were selected. Um, later, Grave Titan became Inferno Titan, just as more you know ways to prey on a field full of one toughness creatures. But the uh, the other interesting one was the Beach House of people that I stayed with. Uh, they suggested Precursor Golem as a, another creature that just takes over the board. Right. Because, like, once you've already decided that, you know, like, uh, certain types of removal spells are going to be good, like, Dismember is just going to be great against Olivia. Mm-hmm. Well, if they dismember your Olivia, then they can't dismember your yeah. Precursor Golem. Plus, Beast Within, Oblivion Ring, Gut Shot, Galvanic Blast, these are all cards that are not very good against Precursor Golem. Right. And it turns on our Galvanic Blast, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, just kind of evolved from there. You know, awesome. Yeah, it, it seemed like a really exciting deck, and um, and I think kind of is a, a lot of people, as I think is is usually the case, uh, like to see the kind of decks that you bring to events. And I think you you haven't disappointed in in this case either. <laughs> like it's always something exciting. How do you feel? Uh, how, how did it end up doing in standard? Actually, uh, I went five one okay. and um, I lost. I would say I lost to a white blue destiny deck with main deck mana leaks. And defeated Green White Tokens, uh, Wolf Run, um, Tempered Steel, which is one of our best matchups. Um, let's see, Mono Red, and Solar Flare. So, a very diverse mix of decks. Um, I'm not positive that the, uh, I'm not so sure that the deck's gonna stay as it is now, uh, as a regular fixture in the metagame. I don't think that it's everyone's style. I mean, it's definitely set up to be the kind of style that I like, and it's mm-hmm. not really. Uh, meant to be replicated over and over again. It's supposed to be changed each time so that people don't know what you have. You it's know? pretty much what happened. I know what you said about like your Tezzeret deck Absolutely. in Paris. said the same thing with yeah. Tezzeret. It's a great deck and there's a lot of things in it, technology that will be used by other decks in the future, but it was meant for that week, mm-hmm. you know, and you're supposed like, part of the advantage is people not knowing what you have, and part of the advantage is picking the exact what cards to fight the cards you think people are going to play on that one day. Right. Um, with this... With this this weekend, I knew that I really wanted to beat White Aggro decks, you know, and Illusions and different, you know, Moreland Haunt and Gavoni Township decks. But I, um, I also, I I, like, I wanted to try to play with as many of the cards that I wanted to play with, which yeah. were Olivia, Desperate Ravings, Precursor Golem, and Day of Judgment. Uh, and uh, Day of Judgment. I mean, I even tried playing all four at the same yeah. time, but that was a little <laughs> ambitious. The uh, Desperate Ravings is just being played with because of the fact that it's undercosted. I mean, I think people don't... people In the future, people are going to remember that they always thought Desperate Ravings was just amazing. <laughs> you know like you know how many people now are just like, oh yeah, it's so stupid that they printed Preordain. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Nobody played Preordain last summer. Yeah, at the beginning of... Uh, when it was first printed, I remember that, yeah. So, yeah, so I think that... I mean, Desperate Ravings is the new Preordain. It's not as good as Preordain. Yeah. But it's better than most things. I mean, Preordain is better than almost every single card in Magic. So that's not really saying that much. But, like, comparing Desperate Ravings to Think Twice is like comparing careful consideration to inspiration. It's not even the same kind of thing. Like, Desperate Ravings doesn't cost the... Like, Think Twice is a very 
conservative cost, you know? And Desperate Ravings is definitely much more of a fact or fiction. Like, it's really aggressively costed. Yeah. So, uh, I really wanted to play with that one. And then, uh, uh, Precursor Golem already mentioned. And then Day of Judgment, obviously, just because everybody's playing creature decks. So, right, right. Day of Judgment's sweet. Yeah. So, uh, would you have, I guess, going forward, or for this event, do you feel like you, you, you would stick, I guess, going back, if you were to oh, yeah, you would I mean, the exact oh. 75 again? No, I would change one the Galvanic Blast in the sideboard to an Incinerate. Okay. That's that it. sounds, that, that, really, that doesn't sound like, uh, That's not a very big change, no. Yeah, okay. So no, everything worked, for, everything worked real well. No, okay. the, and that's not even that big of a deal. It's just yeah. that having the, like, the added value of having a different type of option is mm-hmm. worth more than, than having a cheaper option in less circumstances okay. out of the board. You know, ga- main deck, having it cost one is more important, but after sideboarding, it's nice to be able to do things like kill an Inkmoth Nexus with Tempered Steel in play, or a Golem token, or a Garuk Relentless, you know? Right. So, uh, going forward, would you, uh, what kind of changes might you make? If, if you were a player, you know, watching well, first, the coverage... The first thing I would do is look at the results from this tournament, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the next week or two. Look at the breakdown of match win percentage of the different types of decks. Now, I think Tempered Steel is going to be somewhat skewed because uh, I think there were only like 18 or 19 people who played Tempered Steel, and 15 of them were Channel Firewall guys. Right. So, I mean, and I don't think its record is going to be that insane, especially if you factor in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going to get an undue amount of press, despite only being 5% of the field. I think it's going to be the new it thing because people love to play that kind of deck anyway. Right. And obviously, it's a very high profile, you know, yeah. thing for it. So, um, I definitely want to continue to... I would want to beat Temperance Steel, whatever I played. Um, I, I think that there's still going to be a lot of white aggro decks. People love the white aggro decks, and they're good. So, um, yeah, I guess I would look at which decks... I would try to anticipate which decks I thought were going to be popular next week and decide, you know, like... One of the things we did for this tournament, Alex West and I made a dream deck list of, like, a dream version of Grixis that's already pre-boarded, you know, just the perfect seven, like, the perfect 60, whatever you would want it to be, against each of the major archetypes. Uh, And this is the elephant method uh, that Zv uh, talked about. Um, Then we weigh... Uh, those numbers based on what percentage of the metagame we think each deck is going to be. Right. And that gives us an idea of, you know, like how much spot removal, how much permission, how much, how, how many creatures, what kind of creatures, how often are we actually using, you know, because like before we did this, we, we were using three precursor golems. Mm-hmm. And before we did this, we were, we were using the wrong amount of spot removal. And before we did this, we didn't realize how much we like Snapcaster Mage in every matchup. And, um, if you, if you go through and make a semi-realistic deck list mm-hmm. of how you would like your deck to look against each of the major decks you expect to face, mm-hmm. uh, that can point you in the right direction. And sometimes you'll be like, okay, well, my dream is to play with Deathmark. Right. But because Illusions is a deck, maybe I have to use Galvanic Blast or Doomblade instead or something. You right. Know? But uh, whatever deck you're working on, it doesn't have to just be a control deck. You know, like if you figure out what would you ideally like your deck to look like you know, something that's semi-realistic, but what would you like it to look like against each of the major decks? And then compare all those deck lists together and try to figure out how to make a deck list that's 60 plus 15 that comes the closest to being able to satisfy all those things, you know? Yeah, and while weighing it against what you expect. Right, like, uh, the, if there's, you know, if, like, for instance, in Standard, um, white aggro decks, uh, let's see, like, I mean... What is it? White-green tokens is maybe, what is it, 18% of the field or something? 17% of the field? Illusions is like 15% of the field. Uh, Wolf Run is like 10% of the field. Uh, Solar Flare is like 11% of the field. Um, Mono Red is like 12% of the field. Those are major decks. And you can say like, you know, like, like we give white-green one and a half times as much importance as... Uh, maybe, you know, mono-red or whatever the percentage is. And then you say, like, well, it'd be nice to have, you know, something against Birthing Pod or whatever, but we're not going to... That's only worth a couple percent. So not very many people are going to play that, you know? Right. So um, the other constructed format for this event was Modern. How did you feel about that format coming in after, uh, you know, after 
what happened in Philly and then the bannings and coming into this format. What, what did you end up playing and what, were, what was your thoughts on that format? Uh, so I played a random, uh, like, Grixis Gifts Ungiven deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was okay, but the, uh, I, like, coming, the weeks leading into the World Championship, I had already done a ton of testing uh, for Modern and had a Grixis control deck that I really liked, like a Cruel control deck. Mm-hmm. Um, the last couple weeks of testing, I was focused on Standard. And we came across Braids of Fire, which mm-hmm. is a sweet card from Cold Snap. It's gotten a lot better since Mana Burn has been removed. And uh, it obviously had a huge amount of potential to tap into. But we kind of made the mistake of uh, just sticking Braids of Fire in the Grixis deck and then making a few changes like cutting Cruel Tomatum and cutting, uh, you know, cutting the artifact mana. And didn't do enough testing against everything. You know, we were focused primarily on Standard. And I probably should have just stuck with the, uh, the, the modern deck I was going to play a couple weeks ago. And as it turned out, I played against Blood Moon round after round after round. Right. And so instead of having a bunch of Coalition Relics and uh, Talismans, I had uh, uh, Braid, Braid of Fire. Which is good, but not going to change the Blood Moon type of situation, you know? Like, yeah. I think Braid of Fire has a huge amount of potential when somebody finds the right deck for it. But uh, we should have just accepted that with what little time we had left that there wasn't time to find the right build of Braid of Fire and just stuck with the cruel deck that we knew was good, you know? Okay, so uh, what did you think, after all, like, with Modern, it looked, from what I could see, was tons of just wild Nakatles and Tarmogoyfs and oh, you know, Zoo decks yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Zoo was, like, almost 30% of the field, and uh, Twin was, like, 15 or 16% of the field, mm-hmm. and nothing else was more than, like, 6 or something. So, I mean, I definitely... I mean, Wild Nakato is obnoxious and oppressive, and um, it's funny because Wild Nakato's been getting the pass for so long because they wanted there to be aggro. They wanted to make sure that aggro was good. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they really want Modern to be a format with diversity. They don't want just one big deck. And right now, it is clear that Zoo is the one big deck. And if anything, there's a second deck. It's Twin, but it's like just Twin and Zoo is not very diverse, you know? Yeah. And um, the big problem is that why play any other aggro deck when you can play Zoo? Yeah. Like why play White Winnie when you can play Zoo? Why play Murpho when you can play Zoo? Why play Elves or Doran or any number of different aggro decks? Wild Nakata is just so much better than those cards because he does for you what you have to normally spend a lord to get your guy to be able to do. Right. And he does it already by himself, you know? Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Wild Nakata's days are numbered. You know? Yeah. Yeah, plus, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I definitely love that they keep changing it, making it interesting, because one of the problems that Extended had with, was that it was stagnate, you know? Mm-hmm. And I hope they do find a sweet spot for Modern at some point where they don't have to keep banning cards every every few months, you know? Right. Um, and it is a slippery slope, you know? Like, when you're banning a card, then the next card comes along is going to be, yeah. you know? But look at Legacy. Mm-hmm. Legacy has a pretty big ban list, mm-hmm. but there are more cards legal in Legacy than basically anywhere else except Vintage, and there's certainly more cards playable in Legacy than anywhere else. Yeah. And cards don't get banned in Legacy that often. I mean, Mental Mystic got banned this year, Survival got banned, <laughs> and Mystical Tutor got banned last year. Right. Um, and they unbanned a couple cards last year. Yeah. The size of the ban list has not really grown. Yeah, I think it's actually sh- shrunk somewhat. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. You pulling cards off. And I think it's awesome that Legacy's like that. Mm-hmm. And I got a feeling that Modern is going to eventually reach a happy medium. I mean, in Legacy, I know at the time it was weird that Mana Drain was banned. And I know people were like, oh, I really like to play with Hermit Druid. But you get used to those being gone, and, like, there is a good format out there. There is a modern format that people are going to love to play for years and years that, you know, they just sort of accept it better, that, you know, like, for instance, um, I don't know, maybe Stoneforge Mystic isn't in it, you know? Yeah. You know? <laughs> or, uh, or, uh, Seat of the Synod. You know, like the, like Golgari Grave Troll, like mm-hmm. some of the Hypergenesis. Like you don't need all those cards, and uh, it does look like there's a lot of promise in the format, though. It looks like there's a lot of cool decks people are playing. It's a little bit much the Zoo and the Twin influence, but I think it's going in a healthier direction, especially since Philly was so busted. Yeah, you know, Philly was just obnoxious. This tournament. Not too bad, you know? Right. There's a lot of zoo, but not anywhere near as much combo. And, uh, 
One of the cards that I think made Zoo even scarier is the addition of Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. Because not only now can they flash back those lightning helixes, but it's another attacker and another blocker if they need it. But uh, Snapcaster obviously seems really, really good in pretty much every format. Seeing heavy play in Legacy, Modern, uh, and, and Standard. It's amazing. Vintage, too. And in Vintage, yeah. yeah. I mean, Snapcaster Mage definitely uh, is a competitor for best creature of all time. Yeah. Like Dark Confidant, Tarmogoyf. Uh, Stoneforge Mystic, Snapcaster Mage. I mean, he definitely lives up to the hype, you know? Do you, do you think, I know you said about, you know, Wild Nakadal's possibly, possibly Wild Nakadal's days are numbered in modern. Do you think Snapcaster's days may be numbered in, in any of these formats at all? Not likely. Okay. No, I mean, I think the only place where Snapcaster, because, like, even though he's so good, there have been lots of Type 2 formats, or lots of standard formats where Tarmogoyf isn't insane, he's just good. Right. It's the same thing with Snapcaster Mage. Like, right now in Snapcaster Mage, He's really good in standard, but he's not insane. He's good, but uh, and in vintage, he's good, you know, but he's not ruining it. And in in modern, I think it's the same way. He's just a really good card. Right. He's one of the better cards, but he's not actually that oppressive or anything. The only format where I think it's kind of obnoxious is is legacy. Right. And uh, that's because legacy is sort of this. I mean, obviously, legacy we've talked about is a has a little bit of a, an illusion, you know? Mm. And Mental Mystic getting printed helped uh, pull back the curtain and reveal what's really going on underneath the, you know? And even though Mental Mystic is gone now, people can't really forget what's behind the curtain. Right. And uh, Snapcaster Mage is actually reminding them, you know? <laughs> like, I just hope Snapcaster Mage doesn't bring things to a point of Brainstorm being banned, because it, I think if Brainstorm is banned, mm-hmm. like, that's how you kill a format. Yeah, that, that was actually my next question. Was was brainstorm? That that seems to be a hot topic for some reason right now. About uh, well, partly I think in partly due to Snapcaster Mage uh, in Legacy is is brainstorm bannable? And Every, you know, I think anything's I think pretty much sure to force a will. Anything is bannable. Yeah, but I don't think they want to ban brainstorm. I think that. Brainstorm is probably the card that would get the most protection after Force of Will because people enjoy it so much. And if you look, there's actually a lot of diversity. Like, it's, it is obnoxious that 88% of the decks are blue, but there are a lot of different types of blue decks. A lot of different types of blue decks. And, uh, and people love brainstorming so much, and it's not happening in every format. And uh, the people who, play, who actually play the format, they want let Brainstorm to be legal. Right. I just hope Snapcaster Mage doesn't bring things to a... I mean, I would, I would rather Snapcaster Mage get a, take the bullet than Brainstorm. Right. <laughs> the problem is that's not really how these types of things go. Yeah. You know? So yeah. we'll see. Because already, I mean, who knows how many... Like, how much... Like, the constraints that are already being put on the format because of Brainstorm. Um, and it's, the truth is, even if they... You know, I don't know that Snapcaster Brainstorm actually is, that, is a problem. It might just be a feature of the format now. Right. But even if it is a problem... Um, if you got rid of Snapcaster Mage, it would just be something else in the future because Brainstorm is just going to keep making things like whatever is the best is going to be too good with Brainstorm. Yeah. But my hope, my sincere hope, is that they find that the legacy format is able to reach a good spot where uh, that is not, where that is not the, uh, where it never comes to that. Right. Sounds good to me because that's kind of one of the main reasons I want to play Legacy is because of Brainstorm. But uh, I have friends who, who like to argue that Brainstorm's too good and needs to be banned. And well, I mean, it is too good. Too good, but, but too Brainstorm good. is better than half the restricted list. Yeah. I mean, it, I understand it being too good, but when uh, but I mean, it should be banned, I guess. Is that with, what is, yeah. That's I, what their I, argument I, is. I think that like the reason to ban Brainstorm is because you're actually trying to kill the format. Yeah. Like... Uh, Vintage had this cancer um, that is card availability. Because of card availability problems, it had this sort of terminal illness inside of it that was just killing it because eventually people are not going to be able to have the cards to play. Right. Temporarily, it was uh, people experimented with the drug of proxies. By using proxies, they temporarily felt better 
and they were able to hide all the symptoms and act as though, you know, like they, they could make themselves feel better and it's like they're not sick anymore, right? right? <laughs> Except that it's just a drug and you quickly become addicted to the drug. You can't just stop using proxies. I mean, once everybody sells all their power and they just have proxies instead of power and all the power goes to Europe or wherever, I mean, then you don't have the power anymore and you stop being invested in the format. When you don't own the power, you don't want to go out and play as much. You're not... It doesn't feel the same. You know, it's like using a checklist. The real card is feels much different than a checklist, you know? And uh, once people start using proxies, there's no going back. You know, they're addicted to the drug. And um, Brainstorm being banned was actually uh, just sort of the, the pill, the poisonous pill that put the format out of its misery. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, I love, I love type 1, you know, like real type 1. I mean, yeah. vintage is okay, but I love type one. You know, I love <laughs> old school, real. Like, and I, there's still a thriving. You know, there's a couple different vintage scenes going on. I mean, there's the vintage tournament scene, and then there's also the vintage scene at the Pro Tour, where you know the uh, you know top pros are playing vintage against each other. You know, I, I mean, I, a lot of people don't realize this, but a lot of top pros will be sitting. Like, for instance, right now, Dave Williams, Bob Maher, and Matt yeah, Sproul are playing game of Commander as we speak. Right, absolutely. You know, one's got Balthor the Defiled in play uh, as his general. Another one has Micaeus. And, like, they're just, you know, and they're, they're not just trying to ruin it. They're having a good time playing Commander. Right. Uh, playing ADA. Yeah, Commander. And the same is true for, for Vintage. There's a very different kind of Vintage metagame, though, at the Pro Tour. Um, because uh, if you're going to go to the trouble of playing Vintage, I mean, like, Vintage tournaments are often populated by, you know, people playing Shops and Dredge and... Uh, all sorts of, you know, stuff like that. Storm and, like, you know, basically the way we see it, the metagame is decks that lose to Ancient Grudge, you know, decks that lose to, uh, like, so there's decks that lose to Ancient Grudge and decks that lose to Interaction and uh, decks that lose to Graveyard Hate. And then there are real decks which play all those cards. And that's, those are the decks we play. <laughs> But no, I. Anyway, kind of just rambling on. Vintage is awesome, and if you ban Brainstorm, the format will be a pale, shallow imitation of its once former self. Good, good, uh, good point. I, I, I agree, <laughs> um, and, and some great, uh, great thoughts and analogies there. But um, last thing, uh, and you don't need to, you know, go too much much into depth, but. Uh, a big topic right now is the organized play changes. If you could uh, give kind of a, a summary of maybe how how you feel about what what it's looking like uh, right now for next year, and maybe how, how it is affecting you as a professional Magic player. Well, I mean, it's definitely very hard. I mean, it's per- let's see how it's affecting me. It's stressful because we, there's no communication. Nobody has any idea what's going on. <laughs> It'll be hard to tell how it's going to affect me next year until, I guess, after Honolulu or whenever it is they announce what's going on. Um, I definitely think that the PR on this has been an absolute disaster. Uh, as far as the actual, like, removing support to premier-level play when Magic is at an all-time high, that's, uh, I mean, there's an article on the free side that, that I wrote that, that lays at all the different points, but um, I think Wizards has, has definitely come to see just how catastrophic it would be to reduce the amount of support for premier level play when things are at their highest you know like this is like it, this is an important time for wizards to send a message to the community that that they're going to stand by the community the community that stood by them for so many years when magic was struggling mm-hmm. you know that helped magic grow to this point you realize there are over 12 million people who play magic now that's nice. like there are record numbers of people buying cards and in record numbers i mean there's a lot of things it's not any one thing and i'm sure that the other factors are much like are a much larger source than just, you know, the tournament community culture. But it's an important one. It is a big one. It is something that is really, really... I mean, that's... A lot of people uh, have... A lot of people are not just invested in this community and this culture, but help spread this community culture to the local game stores and to other people they know to show and take, you know, show them this awesome thing that they could be a part of. And uh, a number... Like, if, if premier-level play... If the support is pulled away from it, it doesn't kill the game next year or anything like that. But long term, that's what leads it into a, a decay where years from now, when it's too late to do anything about it, uh, it will be stunted. Not just stunted, but shrinking and decaying and, and people become less invested in it. Part of 
what's great about this is the idea of there being something to aspire to, mm-hmm. the, there being a dream that's actually worthwhile. And if the people who are currently living that dream are all saying, oh, you know, like they're getting not rid of it, you don't want it, then who's going to want it? Like, right. if, I mean, it's not just, you know, if some people stop, you know, if some people stop playing, other people, you know, stop competing all the time, other people, the next best people will come along. It's not that sort of thing. It's more... It's more that like, Wizards doesn't really care how much people win. Mm-hmm. If anything, we've seen from Planeswalker points is that winning doesn't. <laughs> it, that's not really that they want people to play, not win. It, and they want people to come to tournaments, and they want the people to build new decks, and they want people to write articles about decks, and they want people to leave messages on forums where they're discussing this, you know, cool new technology, or or you know, tweeting about this new spoiler they saw that's just so awesome, or. You know, wanting to, to te- you know, share the, the experience of going to a Grand Prix tournament with other people where they're like, wow, I went to this tournament, there were thousands of people there. Yeah. Or uh, hearing somebody talk about, you know, the new cards. You know, they just, all that, that culture, that, that is the substance that helps make magic bigger and stronger. Um, and so it's not just that, like, you know, if, if Brian Kibble and LSV didn't go to as many tournaments, somebody, you know, whoever the next best people would be would win more. That's not the relevant thing. The relevant thing is people spending so much time and energy talking about magic, thinking about magic, going to magic tournaments, making magic events, doing, you know, magic culture being something more than just a place where people show up to play cards, you know? Absolutely. This isn't a doom and gloom type of thing because something that's really important to stress is that right now people are having an impact. The number of letters, tweets, blog posts, articles, messages, conversations in person, uh, emails, everything. Just the amount of support, the, the Facebook group, the Save Our Worlds Facebook group, the, uh, the petition, all these things, they mean something. They're, they're, I mean, it isn't just, you know, there's, you know, the, the, the King of Oz or whatever behind the curtain is uh, uh, making these decisions. There's a committee of people that, that, they don't know for sure, like, how much do, do the world championships matter to people? How much does it matter to people that the national championships lead to something? How much does it matter to people that there's this history of pro points? And how much does it matter? All these different things. Um, people have been writing a, an unprecedented amount of, of letters and other forms of support that it's having an impact. And people can still have an impact. Yeah. Writing letters, sending messages to Aaron Forsythe, Scott Larrabee, Mark Rosewater... Uh, everybody just uh, like send messages to these people and you know obviously keep it polite and short and sweet and to the point but let them know that if these things matter to you that they matter to you because it it's already been having an impact and the decisions aren't finalized they're not set in stone they will be set in stone in the not too distant future but they're not yet and people are having like people have been so successful already if they keep doing it and not just doing it themselves but talking to the other people that they know that care about the culture and the community because we do have a chance to to steer this in a good direction you know yeah we have a voice like that we are what make this game what it is like as the players without the players there's no there's no game so and, I think and wizard, we're not against wizards wizards right. wants the i mean wizards best interest is for everybody to have the most satisfying experience yeah. possible. This is literally, they don't know what every single person wants, and so if we don't speak up and tell them, you know, like, different people have different ideas, and some, some ideas are going to be better than others, but right now, speaking up and letting them know what's important, it's having an impact, and it's, it's a really positive thing. Absolutely. All right, well, thanks again, Patrick, for, uh, for taking some time to, to talk to us about the tournament, and uh, we'll catch up with you at some point soon, I'm sure. Absolutely, man. Thanks. We are-